Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Welcome to the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> Hello, so I'm James and welcome to the latest episode of the Whiskey Bikini Podcast, otherwise known as the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> yeah, we're a, we're a regular podcast coming at you live, or well, kind of live, from Hong Kong and somewhere in the UK. And we cover the horror genre in all its glory from different genres, east and west. We've got new films, old films. Uh, we also get into a lot of film production and the film industry. Black magic, alcohol, and <laughs> all kinds of other sinister stuff. We're available on all the usual podcast platforms. So so please do follow us, share, like, tell all your friends. Tell all your friends. Like, uh, your life depends on it. Because maybe it does. So this is kind of a welcome back anyway. Uh, we have had a couple of months off, mainly due to film production uh, development work and also running a screening program, which was uh, which was quite an experience. So yeah, but this time you've only got me. Uh, usually I am joined by uh, Cub over in Hong Kong, but it's just me this time because he's also tied up with stuff. But uh, I'm doing a bit of a, a film review uh, solo style, which you know I've done a couple before and you'll probably be getting more of these coming soon. But I am coming at you live from the middle of nowhere in Scotland, uh, in the middle of the countryside by the sea, where we are kind of developing another production. So that's something you can uh, stay tuned for news on. So this time I am talking about a found footage film. And at some point, I'm going to do like a full deep dive episode into the, you know, the genre itself with Cub. But this is just a, this is just a a look at this one specific film. Uh, In this case, a horror in the high desert and i'm going to be getting into spoilers and stuff so so give it a watch before you listen uh it's pretty easy to find on streaming wherever you're based it's fair to say this wasn't a normal search and rescue because you know gary didn't tell anybody where he was going The clock was ticking. They very much needed to find Gary as soon as possible. So Horror in the High Desert is a 2021 film. It was uh, written, produced and directed by Dutch uh, Marriage. And you can tell from the trailer clip you've just heard, it's uh, it's on the fake documentary end of the found footage spectrum. Though it does get into actual found footage in its, uh, in its later stages, uh, as I'll talk about. But the plot itself, it's classic found footage set up. Uh, you know, in the old Blair Witch style, we're told at the start that this survivalist dude called uh, Gary Hinge went missing in 2017 in the wilds of northern Nevada. And from there, we get into this uh, documentary-style exploration of the case. With, and we've got interviews with his sister, journalist, uh, investigator. I think it's uh, his roommate as well, and, and some other people. And you've also got clips from his own videos, which, you know, they show that he was this real wilderness type of guy and not just some you know inexperienced hiker or, or tourist who's come a cropper but this leads to the revelation that he's also got a blog and then we start to see more of his own 
uh, exploration videos. Uh, and we, we learned that he, he'd found some weird cabin or structure like uh, three, four miles away from anywhere and right in the middle of nowhere. Um, not quite like where I am now. I'm not somewhere quite so sinister. But this thing gave him like this mad sense of dread, um, like he was being followed or stalked and really, really freaks him out. So he, you know, he writes about this in his blog, but then all his followers kind of turn on him and they make fun of him for telling spooky stories and they also kind of denigrate him for not actually having filmed the cabin. Uh, so even though he clearly, clearly doesn't want to, he, he decides to do another ex, uh, expedition to go back there with his camera to try and figure out what this place was and why, you know, it gave him this sense of absolute dread and fear. And this leads then to the last act of the film, which is which is probably proper found footage, um, and we see his final recording, and we we kind of we kind of find out what happened to the poor guy. Hey guys, up here at the top of the mountain, as you can see, there's the great view. I wouldn't say what Gary was doing was hiking. Uh, these were multiple day uh, like survival excursions. Gary became so obsessed with survivalism. He would study it and find the most remote places, no cell service, no provisions of any kind other than what he took. He's going on and on about this crazy story about Gary and he's telling me that he thinks he knows where he is. Yeah, it's a gorgeous day in the backwoods in Nevada. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big found footage fan. Um, as Cub would say, I, I'm kind of a found footage snob if there is, if it's possible to be one. Uh, just in terms of, you know, I, I can get a bit obsessive or a bit deep into some of the details and the believability of found footage in particular, which is something um, which can endlessly annoy me or I can get into long and pretty pointless conversations um, about. And just recently, stuff like even... Uh, the medium or uh, incantation from, you know, uh, Korea, Thailand and uh, Taiwan respectively have really bugged the shit out of me for, for not being what I would call believable fact footage. But anyway, uh, it is one of the things that's fascinating about found footage is the, all these different ways to make it believable, all these different formats, techniques and technology. And the fake documentary is a really interesting one. Um, and I would call it fake documentary and not mockumentary, as that makes me just think of Spinal Tap, a, a rockumentary, if you will, with the sights and the, the smells and everything. So, yeah, I'm going to refer to fake documentary. But some other examples of the form from found footage are Lake Mungo uh, in 2008, which is an uh, Australian film, which I think is still probably one of the best found footage films uh, in general. And it's not a million miles away from horror in the high desert. But you've also got stuff like on the on the bigger budget end of the spectrum. There's the Bay from from Barry Levinson back in two thousand and twelve. Um, maybe uh, Noroi the Curse from uh, Koji Shirashi in two thousand and five, which is also one of my very very favorite found footage films. And I think other people, you know, a lot of other genre fans would would say it's one of their favorite ones too. There's a lot of blurred lines in the found footage uh, form in general, but I, I'd say fake documentary is, if you had to characterize it, you'd, you'd say that it's openly edited compared to other found footage films. Uh, you know, you often have a lot of interviews, maybe voiceovers, um, 
openly inserted archive or file footage, photos and stuff, maybe some music added on, you know, like it's a, a TV doc or a TV show that's been actually, somebody has, you know, purposely pulled it together for an audience to watch rather than, you know, pure found footage, like, you know, again, Blair Witch, which is really just supposedly raw and just the audience supposed to be seeing it uh, as it's actually shot. But one of the things I like about this fake documentary sort of style is that it can, it can sidestep one of the, uh, the big problems of found footage and, and its curse for me. And like I said, it's this question of believability. Uh, and I think a lot of uh, FF films really stretch credulity when it comes to the fact that they're supposed to be raw footage, but, you know, they've clearly been edited or had post-production work. Um, like, you know, the ghost or the witch or whatever who, who's done away with the poor missing paranormal investigators you know she's also or he's also like handily kind of edited things together into a nice format <laughs> added a bit of music and a bit of special effects um or you know sometimes you just get these really awkward narratives where you're constantly having to justify why they're filming uh or working in even worse working in some like exposition uh conversations to explain what's going on because obviously found footage it's more difficult to have the the usual narrative techniques like uh, sub-characters coming to explain things, flashbacks, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, though a lot of found footage films do try to get around that by having you know, footage within a footage film where, you know, we'll all crowd around another uh, video camera uh, and we'll look at the screen or we'll, we'll all crowd around like a laptop and we'll we'll see someone else's found footage inside a found footage film, which, is, you know, it's okay, but it's, it's a bit, it's a bit like the long way around the barn. So although, you know, fake documentaries, on the one hand, you, you know, you're kind of slightly breaking that wall. Uh, that's maybe that sense of immediacy, which you get when you're supposed to be watching raw footage. You can, you can actually get around not having to do all these sort of tiresome tricks and techniques, which do drag down, really drag down a lot of found footage films and actually ruin quite a lot of found footage films, I would say. So although they can run the danger of feeling just like a TV program, you know, these fake documentary ones. Uh, and maybe as a result, they, they can sort of lean slightly less towards more fantastical or horror elements because we still have to kind of believe that this is something which could be broadcast on, you know, on TV. Uh, so, it, you know, it can't be something, you know, massively world-changing in terms of what it shows of the, the supernatural, maybe something more ambiguous. Uh, you know, they have this benefit then, uh, of being able to convince you that you're watching something that like you could be just you know you turned on Netflix and you're watching one of their watching one of their documentary shows just something uh, a little bit more sinister and if done well that that can have like a lot more impact despite you know maybe constraints of the fake documentary form that's very much the case with horror in the high desert um, and I think it, its use of the found footage uh, fake documentary form is probably the best thing about the film. Though maybe for some viewers, uh, potentially also it's going to be its biggest weakness. The director, you know, uh, Dutch Marich goes, he really goes all in, doubles down on the fake doc format. And the first two thirds or so of the film is very much assembled, edited together. And you've got, as I said, all these interviews with different people. Um, and some of them emerge kind of as characters. So the journalist is kind of just there to report, but his sister... Um, and the investigator, we definitely learn a bit more about them. And through them, we learn more about this uh, the missing guy, Gary, uh, himself. 
There's also a lot of uh, landscape footage thrown in, including some really beautiful sort of glossy aerial footage, uh, as well as Gary's own video footage. And that's another, I'd say that's another benefit of the fake doc if done, if done well. Like it gives you a justification for including some like more, you know, cinematic footage, which could be, if it's a TV doc, could be archive footage from somewhere. You know, you're not pretending this was shot by the, the central poor missing person. So you do have a bit of uh, wriggle room to, to get some more cinematic stuff in there, like instead of, you know, a Blair Witch type thing where you'll just see a character who's <laughs> deciding to film a sunset, you know, or something like that to make things look nicer. So it's a nice looking film and it is very well assembled. But it's worth mentioning that the film was uh, apparently made during COVID. And so pretty much all the way through, you never see more than one character on screen at one time. Uh, it's all these interviews and you don't you know see the interviewer or anything. Uh, the archive footage, the landscape footage, uh, plus Gary's own footage. But it's like this has actually worked really seamlessly together. Um, you know, it's really quite impressive uh, and innovative the way that the film was. I'm not sure for what uh, Dutch's plans were for the film from the very start and whether this was uh, something brought upon by having to make it during COVID time. But it's actually very well adapted into you know being made this way and it never actually feels like a never actually feels like a gimmick i hadn't actually been aware it was shot during uh covid uh, until i did a wee bit of reading afterwards but the editing is also very convincing and it does feel like you're watching a true crime doc or yeah, like a netflix one hour special thing or like a unsolved mystery episode and there's all these sort of weird and wacky conspiracy theories uh from his followers um which we start working into it like whether it's aliens witches and our nuclear testing mutants, uh, and even, of course, you know some uh, Native American folklore. But, but at the same time, um, it's fairly understated. Uh, you know, as I say, as it kind of has to be if it's going to be a convincing, like true crime doc. And uh, I, I like the way it's paced and the way it's pulled together and the way it builds. But it is definitely a slow burn film. Uh, it does gradually and very patiently uh, build things up. It spends a lot of time establishing Gary's character and his wilderness skills uh, and his personality. And this kind of makes it more and more strange that he disappeared and, you know, he effectively vanished without trace uh, before we get to some of the more sinister stuff. This works well for me, though. It, it, you know, it does spend a lot of time on this part. It's not a long film. It's like an hour and 20 or so, but it does spend uh, probably not, not far off an hour on all these sections of the film. And so if you're expecting a more straight sort of horror or found footage, then you might get a bit, uh, frustrated at the lack of any kind of scares or horror content during this first first couple of acts of the film and it's great that it's believable as a tv doc but maybe on the other on the on the other side of this there's nothing to massively differentiate it from these docs or to make it more scary or fantastical and uh, you know even compared to some of these other true crime docs on netflix which are pretty lurid uh with their recreations of stuff and some of their serial killers docs and stuff a lot of fun to watch, very entertaining, but pretty exploitative, pretty sleazy. And this is very down to earth in that respect. It is reportage, you know, and so it does need a bit of patience, to be fair, though. Um, I think it does a good job of building an eerie atmosphere in the background in that respect. Uh, in a very subtle, very subtle, quiet kind of way. And uh, it's not as successful as uh, Lake Mungo in this regard which i've mentioned before and i think is definitely one of the very best and a large part of that film is made up of like home video footage you know reporting and stuff like that and again it also works in like the 
the possible supernatural stuff in the background. But here, uh, Dutch does something similar. It's using these kind of innocuous, grounded content to to gradually bring in something more horrific. And again, that's an approach an approach I I do like when it's done well as it is here. But when we get to the found footage part, it, it's also very well done. Uh, it's kind of shot at night with black and white vision. It's very cool. It's convincing. It's not like, um, you know, the sort of much overdone, uh, you know, copied the, like the ending scenes of Wreck, uh, which, which is a fantastic found footage from Love It. But I mean, that was so effective, those night vision scenes and stuff. And, and in other found footages, um, we've just seen night vision, the sort of green, green and black night vision. Uh, with people's eyes coming out black and stuff. We've seen that done so many times. And this actually does feel like a guy who's using night vision because he, he's worried there's someone or something is at this cabin. He doesn't want to be seen. So it's it's a much more sort of grounded uh, and believable use of it. And it's not like he's walking along kind of muttering while he's, while he's filming stuff. So it, it's pretty creepy. And this is when, you know, this is when things in the film do pay off and you kind of get rewarded for for having been patient you know for to that sort of uh, point in the film we kind of see what happens to him um we've had all this investment in character and we've uh, this investment in the actual mystery and we've seen the emotional uh impact his disappearance has had on people like his sister and the, or the confusion of the people who are involved in the case and we do worry about him more uh about what's going on then we, we probably would in an usual found footage film which let's you know gotta be honest it, most found footage films don't put too much effort into character uh and, and maybe that's i don't know if that's blair witch's fault where they kind of presented us with a you know a bunch of pretty unlikable people uh in the woods who you're quite happy to see things happen to but but here you know gary is a multi-layered character even though we you know we just see these snippets of him and stuff and and so even though, you know, we know something's about to happen. Um, and, you know, thanks to his blog post, we know that this guy's shit scared himself and he doesn't want to be there. Um, this gives you the sense of total dread, just waiting to get to this final revelation, this final kind of act. Um, and kind of building up to that, there's all these odd things thrown in, like this, uh, apparently there's a smell of burning, there's some silhouettes. And, I, you know, again, this kind of starts to, if you wanted to, kind of starts to play back into these different conspiracy theories and stuff we, you know, we heard before from from the followers and uh, people like that. The actual ending of the footage is very brief and unsurprisingly, it's not, yeah, I'm not really giving any spoilers here. I'm not going to say exactly what happens, but it's not massively conclusive. It's still pretty shocking in its way and fairly brutal in the way what happens. But I think this again kind of stays within the boundaries of the TV doc format. And it's it's trying to keep the footage believable. And so it's not some really gory or long drawn out sort of shriek set piece where you get a flash of sudden special effects or something really, really over the top. Um, there's a lot of possibilities, you know, for explaining what happens at the end. And again, this is something which, which can be very annoying in some films uh, for me when, you know, they're, they're just doing a bit of pointless ambiguity. But... I think it works really well here um, in this kind of unsolved mysteries context. And you, you know, there's all these different things you can look into it if you're interested. Um, but at the same time, you still have an ending to it. Uh, you know, we do get a suggestion there's going to be a sequel, but that, that works in a very nice way as well. Is because the kind of ironic part of it, you know, all the way kind of Gary's always saying that, oh, I don't want to tell people where this is because, you know, I am this mad you know, very experienced survivalist. And if you get all these like, um, 
you know, social media whack jobs and stuff, trying to track down this cabin and find out where it is for themselves, then uh, they're probably going to die in the wilderness long before they get there. So, but as we you, we sort of see it, they find out at the end that they're, of course, after what happens in the film and after presumably in the real where people have seen this um, this documentary, then lots of people are trying to track down the cabin and apparently some of them have managed to find the location. And that's probably... I guess if there is a sequel, that's that's where it'll go, and that'd be very, for me, it'd be very very welcome. I'd like to actually know more about it because there's a lot of interesting seeds are are sown here. What I saw changed everything. It was the look on his face that really got to me. He said that the longer he stood and looked at it, the more spooked that he got, that the feeling of dread, the sixth sense that he needed to get out of there. So yeah, uh, as a fake documentary, I think Horror in the High Desert works really well, and it's an intelligent use of the format um, for a low-key, a very low-key horror film, um, is what I'd call it. But, but there's also a lot of other stuff going on here, and as well as the horror aspects and this sort of gradual building sense of unease and doom and the ambiguity of the ending, it also deals with some real-world stuff like uh, online bullying and the and the toxicity of uh, social media. Uh, through through his own through his own clips and stuff he says and through what people say. But, you know, we can see that Gary is a bit socially withdrawn. He's he's not massively confident about himself around people. He's not massively comfortable. And, you know, he says it quite a few times himself. And he says he's much happier being off by himself in the wilderness for very long periods of times uh, with animals and just being by himself. I mean, by all accounts, he's a very... He seems like a very likable guy. He seems quite funny and everything. But, you know, it's very clear that you know he's he's off in the wilderness because he's not you know massively massively happy sort of interacting like this but but at the same time it's also clear that how much his online video posting his blogging mean to him uh and that he takes the comments from his followers very seriously and so when they they all kind of turn on him after he posted about his first experience with the cabin which you know we don't see uh, they're calling him a fake, making fun of him, you know, for telling ghost stories, spooky stories and stuff like that. It, it's actually quite painful uh, to hear about. And, you know, it's partly a narrative device, I guess, to just to explain why he goes back to this cabin, which scared the hell out of him. But the film uses it very effectively. And um, there, he kind of records his final blog post uh, saying why he's going back there. It's really, it's really uncomfortable to watch because he, it feels like he's been coerced into going. He doesn't really want to go at all, but he just feels like he has no choice, whether it's because he doesn't want other people to, you know, to go out and find it, try and find it, solve this mystery and, and die trying. But also because it's, it's clearly very painful for him, the, the experience of having all these people being so horrible to him um, online um, about what he does. But this, this isn't by any means front and center in the film at all. And it's more of a background theme that's there if you want to, tap into it uh, or read into it and but it really adds this sort of depth character and and kind of realism and it also ties into a real case which uh, apparently partly or mostly inspired the film which was uh, 
the case of Kenny Veach, who was a hiker and explorer, and you know he had a YouTube channel, and he also went missing in Nevada, which was um, I think it was two thousand fourteen, and apparently he'd found some strange cave or abandoned mine entrance, um, which had inexplicably terrified him, like Gary in his uh, cabin in the film, and he was then pushed by his followers to go back and document it, and then he just disappeared. And, uh, unfortunately, his body was never found, and so there's no explanation for his disappearance. Though his mobile phone was found near uh, an old abandoned mine. Whether or not you know about this case, and you know, I I didn't know anything about it, never heard of it before. I I watched Hard in the High Desert. It's another extra bit of depth, and it's kind of another layer to the film, which gives you something to to look into after you've watched it. Um, as this, you know, this unsolved mystery in real life, you know, which you could, there's probably more, a lot more stuff about it online, which I haven't looked into yet. But this is where the fake doc format also works really well. And it's this kind of haunting parallel to the real world, which again makes, you know, the choice to make the film this way really makes sense. And it, it also ties into why Dutch marriage, we works in kind of like the creepy background details and possible explanation, but without ever going anything like full horror or, or anything too schlocky, because I guess at the heart of this, whatever it is that happens at the end, whether it's something supernatural, whether it's something human or whatever, it's still this this thing, which was also, I, I think, kind of at the heart of Blair Witch, just this idea that, you know, we can just go missing. We, we can just vanish. And although, you know, this it's a, obviously an American film, you know, a country like America, you know, you think of all the big cities, you don't really think of it at this place with these vast, unexplored wildernesses where these spaces are so large that if you go missing during one of them and there isn't some way to track you by like your mobile phone technology gps or whatever then the chances of being found are pretty small these places are not mapped they're not charted properly so it, it's still this vast unknown you know and quite dangerous and quite threatening you know great wilderness which is still out there which could swallow you up and you know like this you know you might unfortunately never be never be heard of again and, you know, that really adds to it. And, you know, the whole thing just really works well for me. And I think Horror in the High Desert, it's definitely one of the best found footage films of the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> to be honest, not that there's much competition for that. There, there's not really been a... I don't really think there's been too many great ones recently, to be honest. Although, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, other ones out there. Uh, I did enjoy Dashcam, which, you know, probably... Most people didn't, I think, but uh, <laughs> that's something I'll get into another time. But, but yeah, Horror in a High Desert, it's not really one to watch with a bunch of friends over drinks uh, or for anyone, if you're looking for a sort of full-on haunted house spook show like a VHS, one of the VHS films, Wreck, or something like Hell House uh, LLC. But if you like this kind of slow burn, character-based, serious genre film, like more like a true crime, uh, Lake Mongo style, then yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. So there we go. That's uh, that's horror in the high desert, and uh, hopefully I've given you a flavor of the film, and I've inspired you to give it a go, or or maybe even just to to cross the road if you if you see it walking towards you. But I'll have another review episode coming soon, and and cover me. We are working on another deep dive episode, which we'll hopefully manage to work around production stuff soon. So so stay tuned. Do check out our previous episodes, including the radio play Mojo in the corridors of blood, where you know you can hear me and Cub. You can hear us acting and uh, yeah, like, share, follow, check us out in the social media. Uh, let us know if there's anything else you'd like to cover. But but that's it for me. So thanks for listening and I'll, I'll catch you on the flip side, man. Cheers.
Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini.